This is the Managing Smartly podcast with Kestrel Blackmore, show number three. You're listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, helping software developers become managers. If you're a software developer looking for advice on how to be a team leader or manager, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we interview developers who have already made the leap and look to gain insight on the mistakes and successes they have made along the way. Now here's your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Managing Smartly podcast. You're listening to show number three. Today, I'm interviewing Jürgen Apollo, and he's got some very interesting ideas around activities one can do to help better manage teams. Also, make sure you listen to the end of the show as I'm going to give you some information on the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of this podcast. Jürgen Apollo is pioneering management to help creative organizations survive and thrive in the 21st century. He offers concrete games, tools, and practices so you can introduce better management with fewer managers. Inc.com has called him a top 50 leadership expert and a top 100 great leadership speaker. He is author of the books Management 3.0, How to Change the World, and Hashtag Workout. Jürgen is CEO of the business network Happy Mally and co-founder of the Agile Lean Europe Network and the Stoos Network. He is also a speaker who is regularly invited to talk at business seminars and conferences around the world. Here's the interview. Welcome to the show, Jürgen. Oh, thank you very much. The, your book, Workout, is it hash workout? or? Ha- I, I just call it workout. I mean, it has a hashtag in front of it for marketing reasons and because it is fashionable, sort of. I just, I just call it workout. For sure. Uh, excellent. Okay, so... Um, the idea of, uh, of the podcast really is to uh, interview people who have been software developers at some point in time and have then made the transition into management, uh, which you've done, and since then you've, you've gone to do a whole bunch of stuff. So just for a bit of a bit of context, what is it that you do nowadays? Uh, you obviously, you're a very busy man, speaking and conferences and all types of stuff. But yeah, what is it that you do? Well, the main thing that I do is helping uh, other people give uh, management and leadership courses and organize events uh, by supplying them with um, uh, high-quality uh, courseware and, and, and books and games for better leaders and, and managers and organizations. Because uh, I, I figure that I cannot change the world by myself. I, I need the help of many other people who are often much better qualified even being facilitators and trainers and, and, and coaches than I am. But I seem to have some pretty good ideas and some interesting uh, uh, suggestions for games. So uh, my business model has become uh, licensing whatever I have made so that others can use it uh, to, be able to give uh, better classes and better workshops and, and, and be better coaches. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? It's one of those things where I sort of find with software development, management is kind of considered the dark side, uh, you know, in inverted commas, and uh, a lot of developers sort of either don't want to head down that path or, you know, think it's, 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 a, it's a cop-out or, or have attitudes against management. So what, what made you think all those years back that you would sort of progress down that path or, or make that transition? Well, I sort of uh, stumbled into the job of management way back uh, when I was a technical director at, a, at an IT company. And um, one of my earlier bosses uh, said to me, uh, you're, you're one of the few technical people that I understand around here. 
which was his way of giving me a compliment that I could communicate better than than the others. I was able to speak business language. Um, I, I know debit from credit, yep. those kinds of things, because that interests me as much as, as software development. Uh, uh, so that's sort of the natural... I flowed into uh, into management jobs in a sort of natural way because I was uh, uh, the bridge between the developers and uh, and the business people and uh, and I liked it actually. In the beginning, I did not actually. I, I I did management badly without knowing how to manage people. I just started doing it and treated software developers as if they were computers uh, yes. with too much hair and then. <laughs> So um, uh, that didn't work, but then I started learning how to be a better manager. I read all the great works from from Seven Habits uh, to uh, Good Great, and then well, you name it. I read the books, and then I learned how to be a better manager. And actually, when I stopped doing the things that I disliked, then it turned out that people started appreciating me as a, as a as a manager. And when I started doing things in my own way. Uh, I tried to to get away with doing as little management as I could because there's there were other things that I enjoyed even more like programming, <laughs> and then people said, "Oh, you're such a great manager. You just leave me to 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 make my own decisions, and we just have a chat every now and then about progress." And that's exactly how I like to work. So uh, that that worked for me. That new management style, empowering people, having themselves organized, and every now and then uh, chatting and seeing where I could help them make better decisions. And that nowadays is considered good management. So I had to discover that for myself, for in a way. Okay, so sort of a, obviously stepping away from the command and control type of style of management is that what you're talking about there exactly because actually i didn't i didn't feel comfortable with that kind of management i've, I've never been the, the the power play kind of guy i've never been the the, the a person who liked being a dictator so uh, i was uh, i wanted people to like me uh, and i want i wanted them to make better decisions than, than than me so if things went went wrong then it was their fault not not mine <laughs> yep uh, so they they had accountability as as well as responsibility for doing the job, uh, and that's yeah for sure works much better. Okay, so when you when you mentioned some of the things you didn't like doing uh, when you first started, and maybe some of the mistakes you made. Well, uh, one thing that didn't work for me was that I had my own traditional corner office as a manager, and uh, my desk was bigger than everyone else's desk, and my computer was uh, was bigger, and everything was uh, fancier, and it didn't work that well. I mean, we had an open door policy, as as they called it uh, back then, but information never travels to the corner office, uh, as I noticed. So in my next job, uh, I decided that I wanted to sit among the software developers. I wanted to be one of them. I had the same desk, the same kind of computer. I drank the same coffee from the same machine, and that that made all the difference. I, I, I was one of the guys. I just had a manager, yeah. but that was the yeah. only difference, basically. And I knew it was about fun. I saw the expressions on people's faces when they were struggling with a problem or, or whatever, and it worked much better. That's just one of the example, one example of things and the changes that I made. That's very interesting. You didn't find that the the team, once you were sitting closer to them, and I think you refer to this as, as prox, proximity management, is that correct? Right. Yeah. 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 You didn't find the team uh, sort of resented having you 
in close proximity? Not at all, but this is uh, highly context dependent. Um, uh, in my case, it worked out pretty well because I was also a software developer at the same time. I was writing code just as the others were. So uh, I, I did the same kind of work only with the exception that I had some extra management responsibilities uh, on top of that. In other companies, it is clear that managers are doing an entirely different kind of job. And, for example, they have a lot of phone calls with business people or whatever, and then they are a disturbance in, in the environment. And then people would prefer that they sit elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but then still, it makes a difference whether that place elsewhere is a corner office with a bigger desk or if it is just another desk somewhere in the office that doesn't express a difference in status. So those are small details, but they are important details for uh, for people. So I removed all the status symbols from, from my own job, and that made a lot of difference. And I made the choice of sitting among software developers. But for me, that was good. For other people, they may not want to do that, depending on how what kind of work they're doing. For sure, I get it. Yeah. So you've you've done a lot of um, traveling around, meeting companies, uh, consulting, and things like that. In your experience, do people who come from a technical background make good managers? I mean, there's some. I know I've had managers before who have not been technical, and I've had some who are technical. And generally, the technical managers you tend to have a little bit more respect for because they sort of know the craft. But does that necessarily play out into being a good manager? Well, it's a very complex uh, topic, and there are uh, the pros and cons to this issue. Um, um, a pro is that technical people know more uh, about what other technical people are doing, and they have more respect for the kind of work. Um, this was one reason, for example, why, why I often defended my, my software developers in conversations with higher management, because I understood the kind of problems that they were facing. And uh, for the same reason, I think I also had, in some cases, more respect than other people because I was a software engineer. I have a, a degree in software engineering. So I understand the difference between a bit and a byte. Um, so I can even calculate in binary. <laughs> I mean, so that uh, makes it possible for you to gain uh, respect more easily and have people believe your ideas more readily uh, among, among the teams. On the other hand, um, there's also something called the curse of knowledge um, that could be a disadvantage. Um, it is, it, it sometimes comes in handy not to know too much about something that's going on because it's easier for you to take a helicopter view on, on the system. And that is why some people say that actually managers should be able to manage any kind of system regardless of what kinds of jobs people are doing because it's easier for them to look at the people side of everything without being bogged down by the details of, of the work because it's so tempting to dive in and help people with the Do the work yourself. Yeah, and, and by not knowing, by not having a clue of what they are doing, you basically prevent yourself from micromanaging because you have no idea what they are doing. You're just trying to make sure that all the obstacles are removed from, from their ways and, and be a servant leader and bring them some coffee or whatever. I had one of my guys once say to me, I don't necessarily need your help managing down to me, I need your help managing up 
people above you to help with approvals and you know purchasing and all those types of things. And when I heard that, I thought, yeah, that's very true. That's excellent. So agile, uh, software development, are managers still needed? Well, um, I think the question is wrong because I think the question should be, is management still needed? And I think yes. The job uh, of, of doing management, the activity of management is always necessary, uh, like the activity of, of marketing, the activity of development, the activity of design. Uh, some people need to take care of, of uh, people getting hired, people getting paid, uh, structuring the organization into units and, and whatever. And those are all management activities. Now, what is, what, uh, is different from the past is it is possible to delegate many of such activities to self-organizing people. It means that they do management work together. Mm-hmm. One favorite example of mine is is um, bonuses. In a traditional system, uh, managers decide who gets how much money, and that is a management decision. Um, but in um, in modern companies, uh, this is uh, nowadays often delegated to the crowd. When there's a surplus of money, that is money that we earned together as an organization, it makes sense to somehow distribute a part of that money to the people who worked for it in the first place, because they, they earned it. But then the question is, who should get how much? Well, there's great crowdsource solutions for that. I call it merit money, the approach that I described in my, in my book, uh, where you simply allocate money as points or credits and you give them to each other instead of yourself. Mm-hmm. The only thing that a manager then needs to do is deciding on a budget, but that takes maybe a few minutes per year. Yes. And all the crediting, all the performance uh, uh, assessment basically are done in a peer-to-peer fashion, which means that to a large extent the management activity has been taken over by the crowd. So that is an example of why management is still needed. The manager job is indeed hollowed out. It is, it is diminishing. Still, someone needs to decide how big is that bonus money budget. So there will always be some people dedicated managers for making the few decisions that remain. Otherwise, you'd have the developers setting an unlimited budget for bonuses. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> as I always say, if, um, a fully self-organized system without any constraints is is uh, is an anarchy. Now we know that anarchies have a bad name in, in in the world for good reasons because you have absolutely no idea what is going to happen with an anarchy. It could be good, it could be bad. Um, and actually, the countries in the world that have no government and run as anarchies have a very, very bad name, and there are only a few of them. So we have governments for, uh, for a reason. Nobody likes the people who are uh, <laughs> governing us. That's sort of part of the job description, I think, that everyone hates you. <laughs> yes. But firing them all seems not to be a good solution, so. That's a pretty temporary solution. Yeah, exactly. So you've, you've written three uh, books, Jürgen. Could you run through those and just give us a bit of a, a, a brief description of what they're about? Sure. Um, the first one was called, uh, or is called, Manager 3.0, and it is basically about the role of the manager in an agile organization. 
which is um, uh, the context, my own context of being a manager in a software company and introducing Agile. In our case, it was Scrum uh, that we uh, implemented in our organization. And I had to figure out what is my job as, as a manager? How can I make this work? Because none of the articles and methods that I knew of mentioned the manager. Uh, but I thought I still had a job that made sense. So that was what I expl- tried to explain with, with the first book. And then uh, the second book is a little one called How to Change the World. It was sort of a self-publishing experiment that people seem mm-hmm. to think. Uh, it is uh, it's only 100 pages or something. And it explains how to introduce ideas in an organization using several uh, models for, for change management. And then the last one, Workout, which was just released last year, has a focus on concrete practices because if there's one thing that I learned from all my travels around the world is that people want actionable things to do next week. Uh, everyone knows that uh, uh, you should be a servant leader and it is good to be a systems thinker, etc. But people struggle with the day-to-day activities. So how do I do that? How can I get rid of performance appraisals? How do I do measurements of teams correctly? How do I do this and that? So I made it a commitment for myself to write my third book only with actionable things that people can start doing the very next day or the next week. And it's therefore a very actionable book. And uh, I removed all the references to software, by the way. <laughs> uh, okay. Because some people said uh, what you're saying is actually common sense management. You, you, it has very little to do with agile or software. And I agree, although my own context obviously is software. That's the industry that I came from. But it is, uh, it is good advice for any kind of creative, knowledge-intensive uh, business, I'm, I'm sure. So... I had a checklist while writing the book, and I made sure that every word that had a reference to Agile or software was double-checked to see if it was, it was really, really necessary to have it there. It's, it's good about that actionable uh, that you're talking about, because uh, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, management theory. Right. Uh, and I guess I'm coming from a software development point of view. We're very logical thinkers, and you know, we, we want to know what to do. And your book, Workout,'s got some uh, amazing or some... A lot of, uh, do you turn them as games or what do you, what, what's the terminology you use for them? The games, tools and practices, uh, that's how I named them uh, on the subtitle, yeah. So one of the ones I liked was this concept of personal maps. Could you maybe speak into a little bit about what that is? Sure. So one thing that I figured was uh, with, with um, uh, teams distributing around the world and being remote workers is that the advice uh, that we often hear in the Agile communities uh, of uh, thou shalt be a co-located team, you should be all in the same room, is, is basically unworkable in the 21st century because people are in different places in, in the world. Uh, I have a team with people from uh, Russia, Canada, Spain, Finland, uh, Belgium, and other countries. And that's just, that's just 10 people. Oh, we just added someone from Brazil last week. We cannot all be in the same room. So you have to have other suggestions, other practices in order to achieve what, what some people have called um, mental proximity. Instead of geographical proximity, what we should be aiming for is mental proximity. We need to be able to, to be great colleagues and maybe even good friends while, while working. Mm-hmm. 
together. And then it doesn't make any difference where people are. My best friend that lives in San Francisco, well, I am here in, in the Netherlands and Belgium, but he's still my best friend. So I suggested the practice of personal maps as another way to achieve mental closeness between people. Um, and it is a very simple. It's just creating a mind map of either yourself or another person. And the mind map has your own name in the middle, and then you start drawing around it um, education, hobbies, goals in life, your values, your family, friends, whatever. Uh, anything that comes to mind uh, or anything that you know of the other person. There are two ways of, of, of doing this. And uh, the whole purpose of this exercise is just to getting to know each other a bit better. Uh, and uh, I now, uh, I often have done this practice at the start of workshops, for example, where people who, uh, who don't know each other um, uh, draw personal mind maps of themselves and then start uh, discussing them. And they have a lot of fun for about uh, 20, 25 minutes, uh, seeing connections between the, the participants and noticing that they went to the same school or they read the same books or they have the same purpose in life. So people draw connections. And we all know from sociology, when people know that there's a connection between the two of them, they will be able to work with each other better. So that's my attempt at circumventing the problem of people not being in the same uh, same room. And uh, the very first meeting that I had with my remote team that was in January was just one hour of personal maps. We all created our personal map. Uh, we had we asked questions of each other about the personal maps, and uh, and uh, they still uh, think uh, back to that exercise in. Uh, 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 with uh, with fondness, and we we actually want to do it again now that a couple of new people have joined uh, last week or so. so. People say, yeah, we should do the personal maps exercise again because uh, we don't know anything about the new guys. It's I, mean, I imagine it goes a long way to developing that rapport and sort of I guess if you know things about other people, creating relationships. Uh, I imagine that's what it would do. Right, and uh, it's a very simple thing to do, um, as I also described in my book uh, my mother had a calendar in in the restroom back home I know uh, remember from when I was young where she had all the birth dates of all the family members and all the friends and she always knew whose birthday was coming up so that she could write a card mm. that's the very simplest form of, of, of keeping track of what is important for other people and uh, my personal map is just it's in a similar vein uh, making some notes, mental notes or, or whatever uh, about other people because it, some things are important for them and that makes that you, you value those connections. Yeah, that, and that's a key point, isn't it, really? If you can show another person you remember things or you know things about them of a personal nature that they've maybe just mentioned in passing and you bring it up at a later point, it shows that, hey, they were actually paying attention to me. Exactly. I mean, we all know that we uh, that we appreciate it when a person remembers uh, how we want our coffee, even though it, if, if it's a month later, uh, you take your coffee without sugar, right? Uh, yes. Well, that's so nice of them to remember that. So it's it's all in similar in a similar vein. So what's what's another one of the uh, the practices from your book that is very popular? Well, there are popular ones and there are controversial ones, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Give us either. The, um, a popular one is is uh, the Kudo box, for example, because it's very very easy to implement. 
It just means uh, give people a token of appreciation, write them a card, a physical card, preferably, if possible, uh, when you're in the same office. Uh, but there are digital tools to do the same with, with remote teams. Because if you write someone a note of appreciation, it means so much uh, to them that you gave them a compliment. So uh, I have uh, I have seen photos of companies with uh, kudo boxes where the cards are in go into a box. There are kudo walls where people put cards on walls in the coffee area or whatever, and uh, that's how they share compliments with each other. And I use the cards as well in my workshops, and it's always much appreciated. Uh, that people get compliments from other participants. Um, one person even told me that she still had the kudo cards of my course that she attended three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. So, uh, Do you think something like the, the kudo cards is something that a more progressive organizations would do? Do you think it would work in a more corporate sort of type environment? Probably that is correlated, yes, but that is only... I haven't done any research there. I just know that okay. plenty of companies doing this, and they're usually the companies that also experiment with other forward-thinking uh, uh, ideas and practices. So that is a practice that is popular and easy, uh, one that is difficult and controversial while they're the ones involving money, obviously, because it's not that easy to change the way people are compensated uh, next uh, next week. But uh, the two chapters that I have, salary formulas and, and merit money, they are very much appreciated by people because often the money issue is, is uh, skipped over by, by um, other uh, leadership and management writers and, and speakers. And then it's, you often just get these platitudes like, well, you should pay people fairly and enough so that they don't leave. Okay, how much is enough then? Yes, that's right. What, what is fair? What is the formula that you decide how much is fair? So I try to do, address that with, with the salary formula, which is basically trying to come up with a, a, a deterministic rule of who gets how much without doing any negotiations with anyone. So the whole negotiation process is is is... Uh, skipped, you get rid of that, and uh, but still taking into account that some people should earn more because it is fair. Well, that could be different reasons. I know a company, for example, that pays a bit more to people who uh, uh, who live in the city center as opposed to uh, people who live uh, outside of it because cost of living is much higher mm -hmm. in the center of uh, of New York City in this case. They think that is fair. That's their decision. It's their culture. So you can come up with all kinds of variables for a salary formula, uh, whether it is experience or education or cost of living or uh, your job category or your level, senior versus junior, etc. It's just try to keep negotiation out of it because negotiation favors people who are able to negotiate. And that is a skill that is important for some people, but it is a skill that is not important for other people and other jobs. So uh, it tends to favor uh, uh, salespeople, for example, and uh, project managers, because by definition, they are people who are good at negotiating. That's why we hire them in the first place. <laughs> exactly. So they apply that talent to their own salary, obviously. That's kind of like that soft skill thing, isn't it? Again, you know, generally if, if you're technical, that's great, but if you've got the extra ability to be able to talk to people and understand concepts, and uh, again, that's obviously going to help you in a negotiation setting. 
exactly. And um, so and the other practice is called merit money. I already talked about that earlier. It's about distributing bonuses uh, when you have extra money uh, on top of uh, people's steady income. Uh, when there's some extra uh, to go around, you want a fair way of distributing that among the crowd, uh, uh, honoring those who contribute most to to the social system, to the performance in the uh, in the in the organization. So that is on a peer-to-peer crediting uh, basis, and that is lots of people love it, but uh, the idea, but it is difficult to implement uh, in organizations that already exist, and I understand that. So if I was a, a, a brand new, say, team leader or manager, what are some of the fundamental things you'd say I should sort of concentrate on, maybe two or three areas just to focus on? Well, I have always been interested in, in, in complexity science and systems thinking, which is um, uh, obvious for people who read my first book, I, I suppose. And... Um, one thing that I often like to repeat is that managers should be managing the system and not the people. So at any, at any time when you find yourself doing something uh, that so- seems like managing a person, then in the back of your mind you should, you, think, uh, you should think, this is probably not the right way to approach this. I should be managing the system mm, good. instead of individual people. So if, for example, if two people cannot get along with each other well, your purpose as a manager is not to have a negotiation uh, between those people and having individual conversations and whatever, because then you're trying to manage the people. You should take it to the next higher level and try to understand why is it, how does it, what, how is it possible that two people cannot solve these disagreements with each other? And um, what can I do as a manager to to get those conflicts resolved more easily? So maybe without addressing this specific problem between those two people, you could come up with a personal maps exercise for everyone on the team or something. So that is another way of, of, of addressing issues in uh, in the organization or on the team. Always try to take it to the level of the of the system and not individual management of individual people. Very good. I like that. Tell us a little bit about uh, Happy... Well, Happy Mali is my personal experiment at running an, a different kind of organization. Um, we now have uh, 10 team members, and we basically have uh, our two business models are um, the licensing of the Management 300 courseware materials that uh, I told you about uh, earlier. Um, so everything around my books and the games and tools, etc., can be licensed by others to give better workshops. And someone needs to manage that, and that is that is our team um, at Happy Mail. We also have another business model, which is membership of the organization itself. Uh, we have supporters, we have funders, because we have a purpose as an organization, which is to help people be happier in their jobs. And uh, what I do with Management 300 is just one thing, but we have other brands involved by other people, collaboration superpowers and lean change management and learning 3.0 and uh, several others. And um, they all have their own approach, trying to get people be happier in their jobs. Um, I focus on middle management with my Management 3.0 stuff, but others have other approaches and other uh, target audiences, but we're all in it for the same reasons, 
trying to help people be happier in their jobs. So that is how we got together, and the company is called Happy Melly, and it's actually evolving like a community. And at the same time, I'm using it as an experiment, so all the practices that I'm talking about, everything is applied at Happy Melly. We have peer-to-peer crediting, we use credit cards, we have applied personal maps, everything is, is well, almost everything we try on ourselves. Eat your own dog food, as, uh, as actors often say. <laughs> Works pretty well. It gives me something to write about as well. <laughs> That's it. Endless supply of content. That's very good. So when you're not doing a Happy Valley or, or working in, in IT, what do you do for fun? I like reading books. I love reading books, mainly science fiction and fantasy books. Ah, okay. What, what type of science fiction stuff do you read? Uh, actually, I think three quarters is fantasy as opposed to science fiction, but I like okay. science fiction novels every now and then as well. But uh, right now I'm into uh, Joe Abercrombie and, uh, and uh, Stephen Erickson and obviously George R. R. Martin and uh, many others. I've been reading some of the um, uh, the culture series, sci-fi. Ah. Pretty interesting. And since some Peter F. Hamilton stuff. Oh, right. That, uh, yes, I read his latest series as, as well. Yeah. They're big books. <laughs> They're very big books, yeah, yeah, kind of space opera dramas in some regards. Okay, all right, so that's very good. So where can we find out more about you, Jürgen, and and where can we go to uh, to find out? Well, uh, I have my own website on uh, jürgenupload.com. I hope you're able to offer people a link with your podcast. I'll do that. So that's my personal stuff as a speaker, as a writer, uh, everything related to the uh, to the Mansion 3.0 brand is on uh, mansion30.com, and that's where you can find the books and the games and the tools and everything else. And, of course, the company, Happy Melly, has its own uh, blog at happymelly.com uh, for those who are interested in uh, in that part of, of what I'm doing with, with my team and the other brands. Uh, that uh, that we're involved in. So uh, different websites, depends on what people want to know. Excellent. Well, that's fantastic, uh, Jürgen. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast today, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you very much, Gustav. Thanks for the invite. Well, that's the end of the interview. I found Jürgen had some ideas I'd not really considered before, things such as personal maps and kudos. I'll have to think on these some more. If you'd like more information, check out his book Workout on Amazon. For the show notes, head over to www.managingsmartly.com forward slash three. That's the number three. If you're listening to this in early 2016, you'll also find details of the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of the podcast. Until next time, remember to manage smartly. Thanks for listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, where we're all about helping software developers become managers. Check us out at www.managingsmartly.com. Oh,